What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, got some seriously sad news. The West Coast Archery Shoot, as everybody has seen online, has been canceled. We are working on trying to figure out a great day to put on an event at the archery shop. Come on down, hang out, have a good time, see what we can try to come up with during this insane time that we're living in. The Dead Eye Golf Tournament on June 13th is still a go. I hope to see everybody there. You can check out Dead Eye Outfitters at www deadeyeoutfitters.com or you can check them out on Instagram. The golf tournament is going to be off the hook. Insane. Really great time in Reno. I hope to see everybody there. Come out for the whole weekend. It's going to get nasty. Coronavirus turkey log. Lake County turkey blind. <laughs> Backyard hunting. <laughs> Can't beat it though, huh? No. Not at all, man. I sure do enjoy it. It's pretty nice out there. Can't beat it. No. It's a great morning. When? How old were you when you first started getting into hunting? Well, I'd go hunting with my dad when I was six, seven years old. Oh, really? My grandpa was a sheriff, and he was a he was a, the top marksman deputy in Orange County, and so was my grandma. Southern California. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. When I was a kid, so I mean, when my dad was a kid, and then when I was born, my grandpa. I think he gave me my first twenty-two when I was like three years old, and would take me out shooting ever since then and I got my first 12 gauge when I was I think 8 uh-huh. and then I'd just go to the grape <laughs> yeah throw you back oh, dude. Feet. my dad and grandpa would laugh their ass off because they'd you know, knock me senseless and I'd be dizzy for 5 minutes after every shot it was a li- little single shot so it killed me mm-hmm. they got a kick out of it though but we, we had a, a, an Indian friend his name was Jag, and he had some great vineyards, and it was full of uh, quail, and he had pheasants and stuff in Stanislaus County, and my dad would take me over there, and <coughs> I'd be the bird dog, I guess. You could say just running around, having a blast. Anytime you can get a chance to get out and get outdoors, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Right. The experience. Yeah. And it's crazy when you're young, you don't really soak it all in and, you know, you don't really realize the exposure that yeah, we're getting. Just, just how lucky you are. Especially nowadays, you know what I mean? Just to get a chance to, to get into the world is so hard for these kids these days. It sucks. To get into hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... The majority of human population 
It's coming from a cement sea somewhere. You know, major city. Yeah. Video games, no outdoor exposure. It's crazy. These kids don't know how to use a bow or a gun or a fishing pole, but... They or know. understand the concept of it. They have no clue. There's no, there is absolutely no comprehension of what's going on. Nope. And slowly by slowly, we're losing it, you know what I mean? Like, I used to love the thought of getting to go bear hunting here with dogs, and now you can't hunt bear, kite, or a bobcat, lion. Did you ever bear hunt with dogs? Yeah. Yeah. You gave it a good run. Up in, like, uh, B zone, A zone, or? No, mostly D zone. Oh, really? Yeah. Up in the Sierras. Yep, exactly. We got a lot of good bears over there, and after they shut that down, we were just strictly pigs. Yeah. And did that in every, every place in California that had them. Did you do a lot of hound hunting? Yeah. Really? Did you run dogs, Probably or like your buddies had dogs? Ten solid years, at least. No, no I, way. I bred cat. I bred... I started out with catch dogs and just would, you know, spot and stalk and then let them go all Kevlar vest up and catch giant, giant boars. And then, uh, after about... Kevlar vests on the dogs? Yeah, full Kevlar. No shit. Triple Kevlar is what it is, yeah, it's, they're, they're no joke. And, uh, did that for a few years and I actually got a hold of Sherry Bando in Louisiana before she died. And I got a couple of uh, her strains of Catahoulas, like purebred, the you know NALC registered dogs out of Louisiana, and I bred those with Rich Casarotti's dogs. He's a really good hog dogger out of Cloverdale. Uh huh. And we made some, I mean, just super fast hammer down, good running dogs. You know what I mean? Really. Super good dogs. Super smart. So for you, when they started introducing all the anti-dog bills, that was probably like, that was a heavy hit. I didn't even believe it. My buddy said, hey, you got to go to this hounds meeting with me and we got to start voting. And I go, you think our vote's going to matter? <laughs> and he's like, no, they're going to take bear hunting with dogs away. I was like, yeah, right. I was like, it's a tradition, dude. People have been doing it for generations. Hundreds of years. You look in all the old pictures, dude. Who had the baddest dogs? Mm -hmm. The kings. They had the baddest hunting dogs for everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? For birds, for hogs. <clears throat> They've been doing it forever. Yeah. And most most of the people that make these decisions, they don't even... They've never picked up a, a shotgun or a rifle or... They don't even go to the woods. Yeah. They well, said like the guy who passed the... Who introduced the bobcat bill. Yeah, he's probably never even experienced any of it. He hasn't. He watched National Geographic and yeah, fell in love with bobcats. That's how that happened. I mean, I grew up watching Bambi too, but still, you know. It's a Disney cartoon. Yeah. It's not real life. I grew up. Right. Instead of eating a bunch of GMO, nasty, freaking caged up animals from the store that have a horrible life, it's like, I don't want my kids eating that crap. What do you think about deer hunting with dogs? I just saw a deer run right by that brown bush right there. Oh, really? 
all the deer out here too already have nubs. Little, yeah, exactly, little velvet nubs. Deer hunting with dogs? Um, That's on the bill this I'm, year I'm to not, get rid of it. I'm not into it at all just because it's not my style. Yeah. But I'm not going to take someone else's rights away. I'm not going to criticize somebody for doing it because I, I mean I've talked to kids that that's how their grandpa that's how their uncle that's how their dad that's how they've hunted deer for generations in their family and if that's what you're into and that's how you were taught then you should be able to do it right I don't think you got any better chance of, of uh, you know getting a well I don't think there's much deer more of an advantage to yeah. it you know what I mean mm -mm. at all you still gotta hit him you know you still gotta kill him but still gotta find him yeah and uh and when you really think about it it's like if that is a faster way and people are like you know hammer down get get your deer boom first thing in the morning opening day whatever isn't that a lot better for everybody to get your deer and, and get out of the woods instead of you know still being in there you know you get your buck and leave right have you ever had the opening morning itch where you find a buck and you shoot it and then after you shoot it you're like man now my hunting season's completely trashed oh yeah I'm the worst I try to drag it out for the whole season it sucks uh -huh. it's kind of a sickness actually you know when I used to go up to Horse Creek and Beaver Creek when I was a kid uh -huh. every single CO from the prison would be up there and my dad could only go for like a weekend or three days, whatever. And uh, I would just go up there and, you know, skip from camp to camp <laughs> for two or three weeks at a time. And I remember coming home and I'd just be so depressed. To no success. Just looking for deer. Well, even if I got one, I'd still stay up there and help my buddies. It was just, I've always had the fear of missing out, you know? Mm -hmm. like. Even when you want to take a day off, like, it doesn't happen because you just... You might miss yeah, it. You're already that might be the day. You're programmed to the to the, uh, to the the alarm clock going off, so you're already you're getting up anyways. And I mean, even when you're tagged out, you know, you just... If you love it, you love it. And That's why you keep a bear tag in your pocket. Oh, I just still just... Tagged out or not, I could still be in the woods all day, every day, and just love watching squirrels, chipmunks, whatever's going on. What was that experience like for you growing up, hopping from camp to camp? I mean, it sounded like you were in a pretty good crew if it was a bunch of COs and all that kind of stuff. But it was a, just a bunch of dirty old, dirty, dirt, <laughs> dirty old, stinky, rotten correctional officers, you know, mm -hmm. giving me Copenhagen and <laughs> Marlboro Reds and telling me dirty jokes. And, you know, I thought they were the craziest people ever buying brand new freaking power stroke 250 diesels and running them through the nastiest white thorn just ruining these brand new trucks like right off the lot and I'll just be like these guys are so cool you know what I mean <laughs> and then after growing up you know and they're getting older and stuff and and it's kind of cool because some of them I got a chance to take back hunting after they they got older and I grew up so it's it all comes around full circle but without those guys let me stay in their camp, you know, and giving me that chance to hunt longer and be up there longer, it really, 
it really got the fire going. Mm-hmm. And my dad was cool too. As long as I, there was no cell phones, dude. This is this is like, this is before pagers. <laughs> so we'd go down to, um, I'd have to hitchhike, you know, hitch a ride to, to the Happy Camp store, or Syed Valley store, and and use the payphone and call my dad and, you know, ask, hey, can I stay with, you know, Lesna or can I stay with Bill and he'd say yeah sure just you know let me know what you're doing and it was awesome yeah coming home was the worst so it's like it, I don't know if everybody else gets the same feeling but man I'd get depressed for like weeks the adventure is over <sighs> gone done yeah it's crazy though I just never ever lost a passion I love it just as much as the first time ever going you know mm-hmm. blacktails were kind of your first passion yeah um yeah blacktails and turkeys mm-hmm. oh so you grew up you've been hunting turkeys for quite some time then I shot my first turkey when I was like 13 years old mm-hmm. in Honeydew. My buddy had a spot to hunt, and I lived up above Crescent City on the coast. And across the street from me was a guy named Kendall Smith. He had an abalone farm in his house, and he put all the ab- tons of abalone out in the ocean in Crescent City. Mm-hmm. And he was a really good diver and a excellent um elk caller he killed he he guided the the uh it was the number one bull back then for roosevelt ed rydell the own archery shop killed it like six yards and uh he was just an excellent elk caller and an excellent turkey caller and was best friends with the head president guy of the national turkey federation out of brookings oregon Mm -hmm. so me and my buddy that had the permission to hunt the ranch and another kid we begged our parents and talked these three old timers into driving us all the way down to southern Humboldt and calling some turkeys in for us and I remember uh, we sat in the blinds all morning and each of us you know we all spread out and we just couldn't even sleep the night before anticipation was just making you nauseous you know (laughs) to get up and we're so tired by the time it's eight in the morning no sleep we're already passing out and about nine ten the old guys wanted to go get breakfast and everybody went to get breakfast and I stayed there and when they came back I had like a seven inch tom with my little 20 gauge and they were like what the heck I was the only one that got on that trip and I learned right then persistence and patience they go they went and ate breakfast and i stayed and got a tom well, and that's i mean full circle back to what it, you were just talking about it was about sick missing the opportunity yeah i didn't miss it no dude we came out of there bro like my buddy justin had the worst case I, second worst case i'd say a poison oak i've ever seen from his knees to his chest Ugh. he was solid boils dude where he had to go get like multiple cortisone shots like his throat swelled up it almost killed him from hunting those turkeys on that stinking ranch really poison oak was so greasy poison oak's vicious dude oh dude i fucking hate that stuff 
We got, we all three got it, but he almost died from it. I swear, it was just, it was the nastiest. And it's, it's not like a poison oak, like little vines. It was poison oak trees, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, and of course, that's where all the freaking giant turkeys weaving, in and out of that crap. And they know where they're safe. You know the trick, right? Dawn dish soap. Yeah, it cuts that oil. Right. Well, I, when I was framing, I framed houses up in Brookings for like seven years. Mm-hmm. Every year I'd get poison oak so bad, especially on my forearms. And, dude, after I started running dogs, just from hugging the dogs and petting them all, because they were like my best friends. Yeah. You know, I let them ride in the cab once in a while, my good dogs and my older ones, and they're my buddies. Sometimes I'd, two of them would take a nap with me on the couch. Dude, I'd freaking get so covered. Covered in poison oak. And I'd put oil on their coat. We'd be doing a spec home, me and my boss, and and uh, we'd be we'd be pouring the slab. <laughs> That's a no no. Yeah, no. let me turn that <laughs> shit off. <laughs> we'd be pouring the slab, and and I would just grab freaking couple handfuls of poison uh, concrete mm-hmm. and just smear my arms in concrete, and that lime would dry it out, like suck the oil right out. I swear, concrete. If you already have poison oak, concrete dries it out quick. Well, it's so acidic. It's probably not good for you, but yeah. <laughs> no, it worked. But yeah, the blacktails, they were just pretty much what I grew up watching, you know? And uh, we didn't have we didn't have money to, to barely get, I mean, my dad, he got me a rifle and stuff, you know, when I was 12 and got my hunt license and, and uh, he taught me though to you know work hard and don't buy anything cheap and don't just buy it to buy it. Keep working until you get exactly what you want and get you know get the the good stuff and buy once, cry once kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. I had I had a really cool neighbor. Um, He's from Africa, and he had uh, he had one of the biggest seed for flowers and stuff, mm-hmm. a seed distributor, and. Um, he drove a Mercedes Benz, and he didn't like the road to have any limbs sticking out of it the whole way down it. So he'd pay me like minimum wage was probably like four bucks. <laughs> I remember can of Copenhagen was like two fifty, like back in the day. Yeah. He'd pay me like fifteen bucks an hour to clear all the trees down the whole road, and I'm like thirteen years old, and uh, I remember I saved up and bought a pair of Steiner binoculars. And they're pretty good. Steiner's good glass. Yeah. And I had a friend, Grant, and uh, his dad was like, he was like the baddest dude that I looked up to. He had five Boone and Crockett blacktails on his wall. He already had a Remington 7 mag um, that he had, you know, he had a good scope on it. And he was already shooting 800 to 1,000 yards. And this is, you know, 20-something years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, trying to set us up to be good hunters back then. He would take us out in July to, uh, <coughs> to actually to this beach. And right off the beach, it's all solid brush all the way up the mountains. And we'd sit there and dig it apart starting in, like, July. And he would say, I'm training your eyes, boys. I'm training your eyes. And without him doing that and my dad being cruel and making me, sit on these hot mountains and he'd say like there's five deer in this canyon you're not leaving until you see every one and he'd always say quit looking for a deer just look for an ear or, or a nose or and so they, you know they 
without those guys doing that, we wouldn't even know how to glass. Yeah. You know, but starting at such a young age and getting semi good glass, you know, it helped a lot. One of my buddies would always say, look for the birds. And when you can start seeing the birds, yep. then you start looking for that ear flick. Yep. You start looking for that antler move, the tail kick out. And, and, you know, even now, like, you know, say we're javelina hunting or something. It's like, God, do they even have javelina out here anymore? And, you know, you're looking and you're like, dude, I see a squirrel like 2,000 yards away through my 95. And he's just like, has a pine cone in his hands, like we could definitely see a javelina if they were looking you know if they were out but mm -hmm. sometimes it's just when stuff's not moving and they're not out it, you can't make something appear that's not there but yeah i enjoy watching all the little critters and then like you said dude you start focusing on all the little stuff and then the big stuff's a lot easier to figure to out yeah exactly and different shades and different colors you know really really stick out things moving in the shadows mm -hmm. how old were you when you shot your first blacktail um it was the first year i ever hunted them so i was t i think i was 12 really yeah my dad's lucky yeah fella yeah i shot a nice like 19 inch four by three and the game warden was super stoked he's like this is the biggest buck on the mountain this year and i'm like that's cool I was super happy. My dad put, set me up on a really good deer trail and left me there at like 5 in the morning and told me don't move. And I just remember sticking my head all the way down in my shirt and freezing and going like, why would he do this to me? <laughs> like seriously, I'd peek out and it'd be pitch black and I'd be like freaking Shivered. so scared. Like, yeah, we're going to get eight, or I'm going to get ate by a lion. And, and uh, my buddy's dad that actually took us up there two days earlier when we were scouting he said do you got a pistol eric and he goes no why he goes because i grew up in orleans and uh i've hunted up here since i was a kid and i've seen more lions here than anywhere and made my dad take a pistol with him when we were walking around so i'm sitting there at five in the morning opening morning pitch black wondering you know what kind of insurance plan my dad's got going or if he's really trying to get rid of me or if he really wants me to get a deer and right as the sun started crest and i kept peeking out of my shirt and i saw four deer feeding below me and i uh i had an old model 78 sportsman 308 with a tasco world class three by nine by 40 piece of shit scope and uh, i remember i rested on one knee and i'm watching the deer with my little steiners and as soon as i saw one that had forks off the main beams going into the ground I knew it was a keeper mm -hmm. and I freaking put my old 308 up and tapped you know tapped one off and uh, the deer jumped straight up in there and bolt, took off and so I'm like man you know there's no way I could have missed that deer and I'm waiting I'm waiting and my dad comes over to that rock and he goes Nathaniel did you shoot and I go yeah a big forky horn and he goes you did and I go yeah I did exactly what you told me I put it right behind his shoulder and squeezed the trigger and he jumped way up in the air but he took off he's like you stay up here on the rock and I'll go look for him so he goes down there and he's walking around and he found one little drop of 
uh, of blood where I shot him and then nothing. He goes, well, I know you hit him. And I said, he went down in there and towards the woods and he walked down there and he's like, here's your buck. And he goes, and it's not a forked horn. He said, it's a four by three and he's a big one. And I go, I couldn't wait to get down there. I ran down there and it was so awesome. Me and my dad sat there and hugged for a minute and he said, this is the only time I'm going to do it for you. And he gutted that one for me. And the heart was dislocated in the in the buck's chest. He's like, that's why there was no blood except for one little speck. He goes, the, the heart just couldn't pump, pump the blood, you know. And uh, my dad was so stubborn. I say we shot the deer at 7 in the morning. We didn't get out of there until like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Inch by inch by inch, he made us pack the dang thing out whole. Except, you know, yeah. gutted, but skin everything and we get back to camp and everybody's like that's a giant and I was stoked whatever <laughs> I had army issued camouflage on and uh, had a Jags tank top racing t-shirt on I mean I was just pretty much as white trash looking as you can you can get only thing I didn't have which I probably cut like two years earlier was the baddest mullet you've ever seen <laughs> and uh Oh, I used to want to kill my dad. It was back when the mullet was in, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember it was something about, like, mullets, parachute pants. Around the, like, MC Hammer time. Yeah. Like, can't touch this. Yeah. But it was an awesome experience. And I'll never forget it. But starting out like that, I got, I got super confident. And I think it was the first four years in a row, opening weekend, I tagged out every single year with a rifle mm-hmm. and I started shooting a bow so I was like man you know I, I didn't even want to kill deer with a rifle by the time I was you know 16 17 I was already just wanting to shoot stuff with the bow really bad and my dad had got me bows and arrows since I was five or six years old and uh, I mean he had me nice compound bows by the time I was 10 years old yeah and uh, we used to shoot him with no no sights no release and just all instinctive. Three fingers, man. Exactly. All instinctive, you know. And I remember switching to a release, and um, I had a bear, uh, I believe it was called a White Tail 2. I shot that forever, and then he bought me a PSE Deer Hunter. Um, and that was that was a whole, it was a game changer going to a release and a, and a site and all that. and. And I always managed to buddy up to the bow shop owners and would go and just bug the hell out of them and try to get any information I could. And that's where I started started my blacktail adventures, though. Yeah. When you've cut, you've put down some monster blacktails, majority of them with your bow. Hey, we've got a couple good ones. <clears throat> yeah, just a couple. Um... I've seen seen some big ones get shot for sure. But like I tell everybody, they go, how, how do you guys get so many big black tails? I said, well, when, when you think about how many you know, you've know you seen and how many you've been on and how many you hunted your ass off for and you didn't get, we only got like 10%. Yeah. You know? there It's not like a mule deer. Some of these deer you can hunt and keep hunting and some of these deer are ghosts. 
you see them once and you never see them again, but they're so big you can't give up, you know. You just got to keep going. And they're there. Yeah. They're there. They're just, a lot of times they'll go nocturnal and uh, they're just super, super cagey. I mean, you think mule deer hunting's hard or whitetail's hunting hard? Come hunt a West Coast freaking blacktail with a bow and arrow. Just like Chuck Adams said, if you can get a blacktail with a bow, you can kill anything else in the world. Yeah. Well, and I believe that too, man, because blacktail hunting is just ruthless with how they are as far as how the animal acts yeah, and everything that's going on. You know what I mean? They're a weird, cagey little critter. Growing up in the woods, though, you know, helped getting to be around them all the time and living around them. What have you found that's helped your success, do you think? As far as just, you know, by being in your house and looking at your wall of B and C blacktails. And I'm going to I'm gonna call you out on some big-ass blacktails. And I know, you, I know you're not worried about how big they are, but that's, say, that's some phenomenal shit right there. <laughs> I'd say it all starts, seriously, with good gear. Mm-hmm. You know, good good glass the best the best um the best weapons you can you can afford and being confident with that with that tool you know mm-hmm. that's a that's a huge part of it's being you know confident and don't just take a shot to take a shot take a shot when you're confident that you're going to kill that animal and you're going to kill it quick you know what i mean yeah but having success in the field you know it's a, a lot of different variables i mean luck has a lot to do with it you know you got to be lucky but you definitely got to put yourself in the places that carry those those big genetics you know you got to do your homework and your research and you're not going to kill a giant record book deer where where those genes aren't you know it's just like just like me i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have a son that's nine foot and he's a basketball star we don't have those genetics and it's just like these deer you know it the thing that really helped me when i was you know 16 17 years old was getting over over shooting little deer and and not wanting just to just to fill my tag and shoot a shoot a meat buck opening day to actually you know hunt and really try to kill a big old mature deer and and that helped you know and since then i'd get on the on the the record books and i'd look I'd just scour it, and I'd look at all the top blacktails killed in the mm-hmm. world. You know, a few out of Washington, Oregon, California, and and I'd look at the counties, and I'd say, okay, so if I can save up enough gas money and talk somebody to getting up and going to one of these counties, you know, we got a lot better chance of getting a giant deer than hunting a mountain that I've hunted hunted since day one searching for it where i know there's 500 co correctional officers there and i know every single buck that gets killed off that mountain out of out of all the you know everybody that hunts up there or 90 i'd say 90 percent. there's a couple that you know people just throw them in their truck and roll but we'd see 90 percent of the deer killed up there and the biggest ones you know might make 130 inches Never ever 150, 160 inch bucks though. So I quickly I got over hunting. You know where I grew up hunting, and I was like, I'm over this. I'm out of here. There's so many people, 
and they're shooting so many smaller bucks and not letting them get to that age class to be a mature big big buck so mm -hmm. i just did my homework and started hunting the counties that produced the biggest bucks and put myself in those situations and it worked out a lot better for me that's some solid research right yeah. there and I, you know, nobody and helped back me. back then, dude, that's yeah. way more difficult than it would be now, I would assume. Oh, absolutely. With the internet and with the social media, you can figure stuff out pretty quick. But, and people always ask me, you know, why are you so secretive? And why, it's, it's not that I'm secretive or I don't want to help people out or don't want somebody to get a big animal. It's just, like, some of my spots I found, people are like, want to go there and they don't, they don't realize. I spent my whole life just to find those spots and thousands of dollars in gasoline and hours and, and hours my, of research oh, oh yeah and my eyeballs bleeding and, and i mean from glassing so hard in the country that's you know a mule deer hunter would say is unglassable like <laughs> people think oh that's you know that big buck went in that cedar patch it's so thick it's like no that's it's not thick like you can still you can actually shoot inside there yeah you know they don't know the jungles that we've hunted and the the oak patches or the white thorn patches or manzanita patches that we crawl around in for these tunnels freaking just going nasty through tunnels exactly yeah you know i love it when you're hunting you know out for mule there and somebody's like this patch is so thick man it's just and you're just like this is this is nice this is glassable, you know. Finding those good glassable spots with big blacktails is, I mean, it's, it's hard. Yeah. But, yeah, you put yourself around the right minerals, the right genetics, and, uh, you know, the food. And it's just, it's a combination, what it takes to grow these giant deer, but... And when Once you say you minerals, it, what are you talking about? Like, what are you what are you looking for when you're looking for minerals? Minerals in the ground, you know, like mm -hmm. quartz crystals, anywhere there's deposits like that, and a lot of rich minerals. All these big, big bucks. I think, I think it, I think they take about 27 vitamins and minerals to to get you know big. They got to have all the right stuff. So, you know, you'll see a big buck licking in, in the a hole in the ground and you'll think why in the hell is he licking what's he licking dirt dude yeah and you'll go over there and it'll be a vein of quartz crystals so thick you know running down that side of the mountain or or whatever and then you realize well there's the mineral it's a it's like a natural mineral lick you know yeah. when i've seen that you know up in bc you know we'd find spots where stone sheep are sitting there licking the minerals straight yep. out of the dirt yeah straight out of the dirt it's crazy animals know you know what i mean mm -hmm. they know there, what they're looking for there's a, a mineral it's called shilaji and uh, they harvest it in like himalayan whatever you know way up in the mountains and they would they first uh, saw the monkeys licking it out of the rocks sleeping out of the rocks and it's just like a super super food mineral you know and that's how they learned yeah that, that's a buck right there i think young young one here comes another one mm-hmm See him? See how his yeah. head's real flat? Yeah. I think that's a young buck. comes another one behind him. We had 40-something deer right here the other day. They should be coming. The pigs should be coming in here real quick, too, because we have a lot of acorns still. Yeah. Is there four down there? Yeah, I think there is. Yeah, there's four. 
that might be those. There's three younger bucks and one older one. It's that weird. lead one had the body for sure. It's weird too. Uh, around here, you got a lot of deer that um, I'm not. I'm not sure what's causing it, but they're they're velvet all year long, and they're they're they don't drop their horns. They're like stags, you know. Mm -hmm. But this county has more of those than I've seen anywhere. More stags, and I'm not sure if it's from the same like families of deer breeding, or I'm not. I'm not sure what it, what's going on, but there's a lot of weird little stags, and the deer would be big, old, 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 mature donkey bucks, and just you know, a big three point with trash and little crazy stuff all over. So not only do you kill monster public on blacktail over here. Oh, I just heard something digging around, but it's, it might be a quail or something. Something scratching right here in the manzanita. also do a pretty damn good job of hunting public land bucks out of state I mean you've kind of you've hunted all over the all over the world I've hunted a couple little spots <laughs> I've been fortunate enough to I can't even remember all the cool places in it you know what sucks is when you can't take it all in because you're going one spot to the next and you don't even you don't even get to cherish the last moments of the last hunt and then after you do 30 of them in a season mm -hmm. you can't remember any of them it's like <laughs> you have to sit home after season and you know look at videos and just sit there and laugh and remember how blessed and lucky we are to get to do that you know with I get to hunt with a lot of cool people, and I wouldn't change it for anything. When you put down quite a few uh, mule deer that are monsters. Yeah, we shot a couple good ones. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, a monster is big. We shot some pretty big ones. Okay, but. so what would you consider a monster? Well, like, see, like a blacktail, like some of the bucks, I would say that's a monster because you're pushing 15, 20 inches off world record. Yeah. But but the mule deer, you know, like a 230, non-typical, yeah, it's a good, it's a great buck. It's a big, it's a giant deer, but it's it's not it's not even close to the world record, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you look at blacktails, like how many big, giant blacktails get killed a year? But, you know, not that many. And then you look at giant mule deer, tons of giant ones get killed every single year. Every so. year, big mule deer die. Yeah. So I feel like the mule deer are cool and stuff, but they're not near as hard to hunt, I don't think, than the, than the giant blacktails. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we've, got, we've been lucky and got some nice ones for sure. 
And then are you going out there and you bow hunt a mule deer? Or? Yeah. That, I mean, 90%, if I can bow hunt 90% of the time, I'm going to choose that over anything else for sure. Yeah. That's my passion. And I always tell people, if you don't like killing stuff, then bow hunt, you know, because you get, a, you get a lot more time in the woods and you get a, you get a, uh, experience the outdoors a lot more than hunting with a gun because it's a lot, it's a lot harder, you know. And then when you actually do get one, it's just, it's awesome. Right. Well, it's so much more effort to get into a hot zone. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you know, sub 60 yards. Yeah, it's, it's, it takes a lot more patience. And when you're hunting mule deer, are you... Um, like, for you making the transition, I guess, and from blacktail to mule deer, what... what what has that been like for you? Because it's such a different species to hunt. The, the transition was... Uh, <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, the, awesome because I love glassing. You know what I mean? And for mule deer, it's like you get a lot of glassing. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I lo- like about mule deer, opposed to blacktail, is like in early, early season, you get to see them. Like... Like, for instance, I was hunting a buck last year. In nine days, I saw him 11 times, mm-hmm. you know, where if it was a blacktail in nine days, you'd be lucky if you see him once or twice. <laughs> and people are always like, oh, I put in so much time. I, I, I've been hunting for four days, and I haven't seen that big mule deer. And I'm like, four days? I'm like, give it like 14 days. I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just a different, it's a different, uh, whole different game but with the mule deer they seem to be a lot more easier to to uh, stay on than than these blacktail mm-hmm. and being able to glass you know and, and the stuff we got these days glass from so far away you kind of can keep tabs on them you know we're like 90 percent of the stuff we hunt over here it doesn't matter if you have radios it doesn't matter if you have 20 spotters you know these guys that that uh you know, or less fortunate, I guess, that don't have the time and they got tons of money that, you know, pay 10 or 20 guides to find their deer for them and herd it up and surround it for them. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen with the giant blacktail. So yeah. it's, that's kind of cool. You know, you can have the baddest crew ever and 20 guys on your team and all with the baddest glass and it doesn't matter when they go into that thick stuff and they don't come out till, you know, after dark or right at dark, you know. So the blacktail hunting, to me, it's a lot more, it's, it's harder. It's frustrating. You know, a lot of times you say, why do I do this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beat yourself up in 110 degree weather and nasty mosquitoes, poison oak, ticks everywhere. <laughs> and that's another thing, like the mule deer country, like, I've seen like a few ticks, but you shoot a deer over here in bow season and you're going to see like a thousand ticks. A th- yeah, right. Pour off of the body. Exactly. Yeah. And like there's so many ticks over here and it's it's so rugged and nasty that coming from Northern California, people think I've had some smart asses, you know, when we're going hog dogging in Mississippi and Texas, tell me don't bring my flip flops. And 
I'm going to use their dogs when mine can't catch a hog and we go there and catch a three-inch boar in five minutes and they're trying to buy every dog we have and they're like <laughs> the fastest dogs these guys have ever seen and we're hunting flat ground and I say have you ever been to Boonville or like Lake Sonoma I'm like it's uh straight up and down and that's you know that's where we hunt and that's where we run these dogs and train them so when we get over there it's just nasty but these guys they think of San Francisco when they think of California yeah you know well like people when they come to go hunt up near Lake Sonoma with me for pigs and they're like well what kind of you know what kind of terrain are we going to be in and I tell them, like, usually that that country is harder for me to hunt than it is where I hunt in Montana. Yeah. And it's, you know, Montana's straight up and down, but Lake Sonoma is, like, vertical. I just tell them, have you ever sheep hunted? <laughs> you know, and I, I'm serious. And, the, and all these, you know, hardcore rednecks that I grew up with are so freaking smart, you know. I think the Copenhagen's gotten to their brains because they, you know, make fun of dudes with these hiking sticks. But it's like... It's common sense, dude. I love some trekking poles. You, yeah, man. you gotta have good trekking poles, dude. If you're gonna do it and you're gonna, you know, come out with a heavy pack and you're hunting steep northern California, it's a must. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it. It's it's. I'm serious. Like some of the spots, you know, it's equivalent to to sheep hunting. You know. Oh, for sure. You take one step and you slide four back. Mm-hmm. Especially when know. it's wet. Out. <laughs> <laughs> and then the mud's so sticky, you got freaking two ten, inches underneath yeah, your boot. Yeah, <laughs> ten pounds extra weight on your feet. And people don't realize how beautiful and how game rich we are over here, and how lucky we are. And I mean, you know anywhere else you can buy two over-the-counter tags every year for deer? Idaho. And shoot pigs 365 days a year. Right. Yeah, but Idaho's cooler because you can you can still shoot the bear in the line with it or no you can run the line with the dogs right yeah but not the bear but no we're fortunate you know fortunate to be where we are yeah well like you said the game rich opportunity man one of the most difficult things for me when i think about leaving california is leaving the opportunity of a six month long hunting season and two over-the-counter tags no matter what and and, uh, and the turkey you don't got to draw for, mm-hmm. you know, and you can shoot three of those. And uh, you can buy a bear tag over the counter if you like bear hunting. And I mean, I, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm coming up in the next couple of years, dude. There's going to be some monster bears hitting the dirt. Oh gosh, monster bears hitting the dirt. I don't think we've hit a hit our quota since they've closed. No, the dog and I don't even think we've come close. No, we, we're always shy about 500 or more. Crazy. You know, what's that doing to the population? Yeah. People are seeing bears in Santa Rosa in town. <laughs> what? How'd that even happen? Oh, yeah, they come all the way down in here and go in these pear orchards. We've had elk right here and bears, uh, coyotes. Um, the guy that has a pig trap over here, mm-hmm. he has a camera right over here on the corner of my fence. He has lions coming out of my yard, going into the orchard and going back in, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as wild as it gets right here in this little section. Like I said, after the fires and everything, this is this is a solid, solid patch that's, you know, still raw. 
mm-hmm. in the middle of some some farmland so it's and I mean you can see right there there's the mountains right there and that creek goes up to those mountains and it's a just a main highway for for big deer and big big bigs all the wildlife yeah man we sure are lucky dude we definitely are lucky for sure We saw those turkeys earlier, they're just not moving around much. Um, you know what? It's a, they got all those hens, mm-hmm. and uh, they're just gonna do whatever they do till they go sit up and, and the hens, you know, nest. But if we call the hens in, as you know, we don't get the toms to come with them, but those aren't the ones that I really wanna kill mm-hmm. those are younger birds that that big bird every day he's by himself mm-hmm. and you know exactly who he is because he has a he has a limp on his left leg mm-hmm. but every time I see him he's by himself and like Michelle's bird and uh, and the other bird I got the other day they were all by themselves or no the one had a big tom with him but this, the one that she got chased all the little toms off twice and he came in all by himself and had pretty big spurs. Really? He's a, yeah, he's an older bird. A lot of these older birds too, just they're mean so they hang out by themselves. Cruising solo. Mm-hmm. Just like a big old nasty buck. Right. For me, it's so funny with turkeys, like my biggest thing for them is I only want to shoot a turkey that has a paintbrush hanging off of him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not into shooting little birds. I'm not, you know, like, give me like a nine or a ten inch paintbrush. Yeah. You know, you just paint a house with it. I get mad when I kill them. They're not over ten now. <laughs> My goal every year is just to hammer all over ten. But <laughs> but it, the paintbrushes always get me, dude. It's the, the big, thick ones that I'm that I like but dude I've shot some giant birds in the in the rain and I knew they were well over 10 11 inches and I and I'm like man they're kind of wispy you know mm-hmm. and you think about it you're like dude he's soaking wet and then you get home and dry the beard off and you're like oh my Oof. gosh it's four inch, you know it's freaking yeah as big as round as my wrist <laughs> we got one last year I hunted him for a long time I think for like five days and uh so you'll target turkeys the same way you target big game. Oh, yeah. We pick them out and name them and then <laughs> then only shoot that one, you know. But this Tom, he his beard's five and a half inches wide. Really? Yeah. And uh, we called him in on a string, full strut, and we got lucky to get him. But he's just a big old gnarly smart Tom, you know. Mm-hmm. Did, he did something different every single day. So. So we tricked him by doing the same thing every day, and we finally caught him, you know. Slipping. On, like, the fourth day, he would start his rounds all over, and we were just patient and waited for him. Right. It's just like a big deer or anything. If you really want it, you know, don't shoot anything else but that one. Yeah. 100%. And that goes to what you were talking about earlier, you know. 
when you get over the hump of just shooting an illegal buck, an illegal buck will do, you know, because I was in that for a long time, you know, an illegal buck will do, and my buddy hit me up one year, and he's like, hey, don't send me any pictures of any bucks that aren't big. He's like, if you shoot your little milk lip bucks this year, I don't want to see pictures. I don't care. I want to see you killing big bucks this year. And I was like, fuck, dude. Pressure's on. But that year, I passed 14 little bucks. Yeah. And I shot two of the biggest bucks of my life, archery. One was a was a blacktail. It was a 4 by 4 blacktail. Obviously, it was east of I-5. So, you know, whatever everybody wants to say about that. Oh, they still got black tails in there for sure. Yeah. And then uh, the other one was a 3x4, 24-inch mule deer that was just gnarly and old. So but it was I, worth it, huh? Yeah, and it was so worth it to pass on all my and, shot opportunities that I had to shoot both those bucks yeah. in under five days. And you get to hunt that much more, you yeah. know what I mean? Right. And you get to know that you're in their wheelhouse and yeah, they aren't finding you and you could have killed them and you passed it feels good yeah confidence building for sure yeah 100 percent. when i take a young when i say young i mean like a new archer you mm-hmm. know you know out and it doesn't matter if they're 60 70 years old and they already know everything mm-hmm. you know if, if we get on a good deer and and it's a it's a deer we don't want to kill, but he's a nice deer. I'd tell him, you know what? We're not doing anything else. Just see how close you can get. Make that stock, you know, stock 20 or 30 of them a season, even if you're not going to shoot them, yeah. just to just to practice. And Well, because if you don't, and then you get on that big buck and you have no experience going yeah. in on a stock. And walk up to them and, and get your heart rate low because, I mean, I know, I know me, when I see a giant deer, I have to look at the ground for a while and then breathe and I tell myself this is the worst day I just smashed my thumb with my freaking 21 ounce heart frame and hammer and I'm having the horriblest day of my life you know and I I talk myself into being in a in a bad like work situation and get my heart rate low until I like make myself grumpy when I go in Mm -hmm. or else I just get so freaking jacked like a little kid especially with a bow you know Mm -hmm. and uh getting your getting your breathing under control and I mean you know as well as I know you freaking lift your range finder up and you can't even get the damn thing to steady yeah steady (laughs) and uh you know you still got the passion and the you know the buck fever even after you freaking hammered quite a few tagged out 90% of your deer with the bow yeah Jack Brittingham showed me uh last season is actually the coolest coolest thing anybody showed me for bow hunting for a long time and I'm always open. If somebody's if somebody's a badass and they're the real deal, I'll listen to anything they have to say, you know, any I don't care how old or young they are, if they're smart and they got it down and they're doing something right, you you know, if you're not willing to learn, then I think you got a problem, you know. You should always be open minded and always. willing to learn. But he told me to pretty much like put the bottom cam of your your bow like in your crotch or on your knee and then rest your range finder like right in front of the top cam mm-hmm. on the limb. Mm-hmm. And it's so stable, it's not even funny. Yeah. But it took me 20 something years of archery hunting 
for Jack Birmingham and go, oh, dude, this is what I do when I start getting a little wiggly or shaky, you know? And I'm yeah. like, well, there you go. Same thing with you binos, know? dude. You put your binos on your top cam yep. and just hold your bow close to your body and hold it in tight. I learned a whole new deal this year. We, we were glassing a lot with the smaller optics off a single trekking pole. Mm-hmm. And it, it was pretty cool because, I mean, I had my 95 and my 150-pound tripod and they were making fun of me laughing they were saying you're the only person that's ever hiked with this much junk for sheep hunting over you know down in mexico and i was laughing i said yeah you're gonna think that when when uh, we want to see one far away or get a cool picture or really see what the ram is and not have to hike two extra miles mm-hmm. and uh so for the first couple of days they're using their trekking poles and i'm like fine i'm gonna start trying the trekking pole instead of you know getting everything out every single time i wanted to class and by God, it works, you know. <laughs> I saw a, I saw a ram, probably a 150-inch ram, at pushing 3,000 yards with 8 by 32 Leicas that I bought when I was like 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't believe it, you know. I was like, whoa, you just get used to, you know, different styles. And those guys have been hunting sheep for like eight years, and they were trying to take in and soak in any, any bit of knowledge I had, and I was doing the same thing because, you know, these guys, they don't hunt they don't go over here and hunt deer and go over here and hunt you know pig and go over here and hunt bear they just they're solid sheep guys and they're all about being light and still being efficient and by god you know their their setup works just as good as mine and uh that was a pretty cool technique though you know Mm -hmm. learn how to just sit there and glass off the trekking pole for a minute so what was that sheep hunt like for you because that was the first time you got to hunt a sheep with a tag for yourself. Yeah, it was. I actually still don't know if it's if it sank in that 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 all happened, you know. And uh, like I said, I get so many hunts mixed up in, in one season that you don't get to enjoy the one as much. You know what I mean? If if that was my only hunt of the year, that'd be all I could think about. But mm-hmm. it wasn't so. I don't think it's registered that I even got to do that yet, but it was, um... I mean, the bases was, on that ram are monstrous. Dude, when I seen that freaking... <laughs> so I was hunting the one ram, and the airline in Las Vegas didn't let me take my gun. So I was about to have a meltdown, but I want to shoot it with the bow anyway, so I said, whatever. Had a buddy luckily come and get my gun, and, uh ended up over there a million miles away with just my bow and arrow and I was fine with that and we found a real good solid you know 172 175 inch ram and I hunted him every day and I'd get a couple hundred yards and the wind would change and he was in super super nat like the worst possible archery hunting terrain in the world desert uh, sheep hunting yeah 90 percent of it and uh I mean we're that that ram was probably like 7,500 foot, you know, and we'd start at the valley floor and and hike up. So it was an ass kicker, you know, and he wasn't like my dream ram. And uh, the third day of hunting him, when he blew out, we started hunting, you know, the tip top of the nastiest stuff. And and we found that ram that that they they didn't know, you know, hadn't seen that ram. And and I, uh, it was a day that I was glassing with with a stinking trekking pole and we were 
we were already at like 30 rams that day and that was a really good day because it had been cold like the first couple days we'd see like two sheep all day and i'd be like man like there's not you know there's nothing moving this is crazy well that day we'd glass up like 30 and i had just put put the leicas away and i had spotted like a 150 ram and i started just digging apart really hard with the 95 and and i seen that ram for like a split second and i just said told the guys check this ram out check this ram out i said this is the heaviest ram i've ever seen he was probably like 2500 yards away and they look they all look over there through my through my glass and they're looking trying to find it the other guys in their glass and the guy tells me that's a little ram and i look at him and i'm like holy like if that's a little ram i don't know what i'm doing you know <laughs> so i look through my my glass again and i go not that ram well the big ram had went back behind this pine tree and a little ram popped out like a 140 and i go not that ram i go this one's freaking giant i just it's the biggest ram i've ever seen and and he goes hmm and i go all three you don't freaking take your eyes off that spot and so we're watching it for like 20 minutes and finally he sticks his head up for one second comes in an opening and the one guy goes oh and i knew you know it's that was a, a good, was a good sign <laughs> but it being like four in the evening we had no there's just so much it wasn't gonna happen no there's so many there's so much country and nasty terrain in between us so we got back in there in the morning and we dug them up and and uh, we were about 1500 yards away and there's no way to to get across this canyon so they wanted to sit and watch them for for a while and and I told him, man, there's no way to get closer. We're going to burn up this whole day if we don't hike up farther to, you know, go back down and hike up this next ridge. So I talked everybody into it. And then we get up there and the wind's howling 20 miles an hour, east to west and north to south. I mean, just circling, just going crazy. And he beds down and then he's chilling. He has five U's. So, I mean, there's just no way we're going to get closer to this ram. And I range find him and... I'm using my little bow hunting loophole rangefinder, and he's 700 yards away, and it says to uh, shoot for, I think it was 642 or 638, it said. And so I tell him, hey, let me see that gun. The uh, owner had a Gunworks, and the uh, owner of Gunworks had just shot the farthest shot at like 630 mm-hmm. ever on that ranch this like a month before. And I told him, is that that gun that guy built for you? He goes, yeah. I go, give me that gun. <laughs> I go, it's got a Night Force and a 168 Burger. I said, it's the same thing I shoot. I said, I'm going to hammer this thing. If you're, you're all, I got yeah. this. Yeah, and the guy goes, no, you're not supposed to shoot over 400 yards. And I said, he goes, this isn't an opportunity, so it's not like they're going to give me an opportunity. It's not like if I don't shoot, it's not like I blew my opportunity. If I shoot and miss, my, I'm done. So... I'm sitting there, and about 30 minutes goes by, and the ram stands up, and I I said, give me that gun. So we get the gun out of the pack, and I'm like, give me the tripod. And they're like, there's no tripod. And I go, okay. So I take my little binoculars, and I make a little vise, and I set up on my on my pack and lay down and ripped all the cactus out in a five-foot five circle radius around me and laid down, dug my feet in, and squeezed one off, and hit him about two inches high of where I was aiming 
right in the crease of the of the shoulder and then uh, the guy said good shot you know and he ran up probably 15 yards and I said where'd he go and he goes he's just right above there and I jacked another one in and he said no need and and I center punched him in the front shoulder and put him down and the bullets were about two inches apart and uh, we all gave each other hugs and stuff and it took a long time to get over there and I just it was, it was really cool because I didn't it was like a hunt that I didn't have to like I had no cares in the world like mm -hmm. it was their job to do to, everything exactly so <laughs> so I was like this, this is pretty cool and it was one of the only hunts that my dad you know went on with my I told my dad I go these guys know this place they do this every every season I said I'm not gonna act like I know anything like you know this is all I'm gonna this is like my first guided real guided hunt in my life mm -hmm. so it was it was awesome you know and uh it was well worth it but on coming down we switched i put the ram in my pack and after i got up i realized it was the heaviest pack i've ever packed out in my life and we were trying to get back before dark you know and i just thought i was something i'm not i guess i drank i drank a little bit too much uh mountain ops or wilderness athlete and <laughs> turned into a monster and ended up blowing freaking my tendon out of my leg no way oh yeah it's i just took my brace off dude it's still just smoked so i i wasn't even halfway down the mountain and i knew that it was bad if you gave me a free sheep hunt the next day i couldn't hike to the mountain to shoot one really no i was shot out bad but, that's rough dude. yeah but it was worth it yeah well i just came off we, we killed a sheep in nevada and i heard i felt it start stretching on that hunt so before i even got to mexico i knew that i had to take it easy because it didn't feel good at all but i think i i think i originally twisted it um on the strip i went down and hung out with ryan for a couple days and we ended up shooting a really good buck, and I was so jacked that uh, the the guy that Ryan had, the, the the shooter, he he just had double knee replacements, and you know didn't want to hike all the way to the deer, so they were going to go to this to this upper road and walk down to the deer. So I put my pack on and took off running, and as soon as I seen the the deer hit the dirt, you know it's one of the biggest deers I've ever seen get killed, and so I ran all the way over there like a ding-dong and his <laughs> big old jagged rocks, you know, and I think I twisted it there. And then two days later, I was on that sheep in Nevada and really hurt coming down that. And I just wasn't excited at all about really even going to Mexico. And then uh, it just worked out, you know, got, yeah. got super lucky, feel fortunate to get a ram i wanted a i wanted a real old heavy broomed ram and i was stoked you know 16 and a half inch bases 34 inches long i can't be happier just an awesome old 11 year old ram too really yeah he was cool so you keep talking about archery yeah, yeah i'm a failure your... i didn't get a sheep with the bow okay <laughs> Is that what you want to, is that what you want to hear? I failed. 
<laughs> if I ever get a chance to go back, I will, but I will probably never get a chance, so <laughs> I'm going to be a failure on the sheet. <laughs> the guys that do it, dude, I mean, I take my hat off to them. Mm-hmm. Tom Foss killed a, a sheep there the week before I went, and it was like a 174. And I think he killed it like the last day. It was the third 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 big ram he'd got on and he just smoked it and I was just like in awe I was like so happy and he's I think he was only the second person ever you know out of over a hundred rams killed there that had actually killed one with a bow mm-hmm. and he killed a giant and I was like man I gotta kill at least a 174 to be like Tom and <laughs> it didn't happen how big was your ram? I think he grossed 178 or um uh, and, and I think he maybe has a half inch or something of deductions, but I'm not positive. It's um, a pretty big ramp. They were going to have um, um, the guy that was going hunting with the Sartinis that a month after I was there, they were, they were going to have him score it, but I'm not sure if he did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I figured if it's a 170 inch ram. I'd be tickled, you know what I mean? Yeah. So do you use the Archery Pro Shop? Or do you do all your own bow mechanics yourself? No, no. I um I grew up, you know, being loyal and dedicated to to one archery shop, you know, wherever it was local and mm-hmm. and then I met a guy when I was oh man, maybe eighteen. Maybe I wasn't even eighteen yet, but he had an archery shop, and he would take me out all over. He owns Benellis Archery, mm-hmm. and uh, he would take me, you know, to Yellowstone, and we'd check out the buffalo, and then he'd take me over to antelope hunting or whatever. You know, I just I'd tag along with him everywhere. And I actually got my first big boar with him with a bow and arrow, and and uh, my first all my first big tom turkeys were with him with the archery equipment, and uh, I still you know I'll still get stuff from him and. If 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 he can't get it for a couple of weeks or or whatnot, then uh, I go to Hans usually in um, Petaluma is the closest, mm-hmm. what I call pro shop. You know, yeah. You go in there and he'll have you whatever you need set up in ten minutes, and I mean paper tuned whatever out the door. Or if I call and say, hey, I need six dozen arrows. I know you're busy. He'll say, oh, come pick them up tomorrow. I mean, yeah. He gets it done. Yeah. Yeah, West Coast Archery Shop. Yeah, West Coast Archery in Petaluma, and, and I think there's one in Dixon, you know. Yeah, the one in Dixon got shut down. They closed that operation, and I think the owner moved to Texas or something like that. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah I always take my take my stuff to a pro shop, though, and get it done right, you know. And what made you want to start doing a pro shop instead of a big box store or anything like that? Um... I mean, I know you said supporting local business. Yeah, like my buddy Mark, he took me hunting forever, so he would hook me up, you know, mm-hmm. give me really good deals, and he was one of my good friends, so he still is, and he he, uh, he would just pretty much give you more more uh, attention or, you know, better customer service right? than one of these other shops and the, you know, Bass Pro or Cabela's, whatever, you can go do your thing there, but generally that's just a person that got a job in a sporting goods store and works in the archery 
department, department right for minimum wage but it's like you know when you're buying shoes you want to ask somebody a shoe department or do you want to ask the dude that's up on the mountain you know 300 days a year what boots work mm-hmm. you know but like Hans I met him I don't even know 15 bows ago <laughs> and, and uh, he just I, I just knew right off the bat you know I'd been around it for so long I knew I was like this dude is, there's no bullshit you know he knows exactly what he's doing and he's quick if 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 something breaks or something happens, you know, he's on top of it in a second. So, mm-hmm. to me, customer service and 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 the knowledge is what's really important to me, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you could be a new archer and you go, go to a shop, you know, or Bass Pro and they can't, they might, they might not paper tune your bow and, and you might be shooting a little bit. you're shooting bullseyes and you're hitting great at 20 yards in that shop but you're going home and you're trying to side in out to 60 and you cannot get her dialed you know and and i mean there's a lot to learn and in the archery world you know people just want to get a bow and go out and shoot stuff i don't recommend it you know? It's not going to happen. No, that go way. hunting with a gun for a few years. Get that confidence. Get used to get used to killing stuff and shooting stuff, and then then go out with your bow and arrow. Yeah. But you know, you go into some bow shops and you say, "Hey, man, I'm looking." You know, my buddy wants to get a, a sight with second and third access, and they go, "What's that?" And you go, "All right, here we go. Here we here we are." <laughs> you know. But when you're hunting high alpine stuff and steep angles, and and you don't know what second and third access are, you know your 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 sight isn't even lined up with the string of your bow because not every bow is the same. So, you know you'll be shooting downhill at 70 yards and at a nasty angle, and your bow's creeping to the right, and you have no idea why. Well, you know that's your problem. But a lot of these guys that shoot 20, 30 yards, you know, sitting in blinds or whatever, a tree stand. It's no big deal. They don't really care. Yeah. yeah. But for Western hunters that are shooting 80-yard shots, you know, on a canid, nasty freaking 70-degree angle. Yeah. yeah. You got to have it, dude. But I've always been like a little a little obsessive, I guess, you know. Um, I couldn't take a test in school like my whole life. I had ADH so bad. Mm-hmm. Like my teacher would be sitting there reading something. I'd just be like thinking about like how cool would it be if there was no kids in here and and you know she just came over to me and was like hey Nate you like want to make out or I'd just be day- daydreaming about the stupidest stuff and I couldn't focus so I told my mom and dad I said man I can't I can't do this anymore so they got me on I went to Christian Bible school for like the first few months in ninth grade and I was like I'm over it dude so mm-hmm. I, I started doing construction and and uh, did homeschool and I had, I mean, I had everything. I had the arrows, broadheads, gas money, Copenhagen, whatever you wanted, you know, because I had a little paycheck. So yeah, it was freaking cool. But well, yeah, that's I, such a big part too is having the ability to financially afford it. Yeah, yeah. My dad made me buy my own <coughs> deer tags and all my own stuff, you know. So he taught me, you know, how to work and get it done. But it was pretty funny because I had ADHD so bad that. uh 
the teachers would get so mad at me and and it wasn't my fault you know Mm -hmm. but I had a teacher that knew me and he knew my family and stuff and he was the best teacher I've ever had he taught all the um, kids that would come up from Mexico and teach them all English and whatever so he had like the hardest the kids that were you know had the hardest time learning and so I got to go in his class and he gave me a job you know I would go around the class with the fly swatter in the afternoon when everybody's reading and I'd get a freaking get flies and we had a couple of iguanas and snakes and I'd take <laughs> care of those clean the cages but he knew like I'm going to cause problems if I'm just sitting there you know it's just not because I can't and uh, mm-hmm. it was pretty cool though growing up like that you know and then after my dad took me hunting and stuff after seventh grade all I could think about was like waves breaking getting dropped off at the beach or flinging arrows at some forked horns mm-hmm. so like school was out of the i couldn't even think about school you were done with school at yeah. an early age i'd get a test and i'd just look over you're like the smartest freaking nerdiest chick with glasses that you didn't even want to talk to but she's probably like the hottest chick now in your whole school you know <laughs> and i would just like look at her test and i'd feel so dumb and so bad did I wouldn't even copy her. I would just like mark down like I wouldn't even look at the I would just mark down A, B, D, C and I'd, you know, fail miserably ninety yeah. percent of the time. And uh It's like me growing up. Man. Yeah. It's terrible. I just got to that point where I couldn't wait to get out of school and go home and grab the old bear bow or grab these stupid little cheap recurves that I had and just go get with it. Right. Same with fishing, too, you know. When hunting season's done and it's fishing season, it's just... It's all I could think about. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, you slice some fish, too, man. We catch some good ones. Yeah. Yeah, I love bass fishing and striper fishing and halibut and tuna. and. You just caught a monster bass the other day. Yeah, we've gotten some... Out there we in had, good old Japan. Yeah, we had four... <laughs> four big ones that week we had three on over 50 that week and uh we finally got one in the net and uh, it's a 50 inch striper you know a giant i think we've caught them like it has to be 25 fish over pushing over 30 pounds you know 30 to 50 pounds mm-hmm. and they're so cool we just usually let them go you know unless yeah. they choke the bait so bad they die or yeah have a hard time then we'll eat them but I mean, dude, a 30-plus pound striper these days, oh. that's just insane, they're, man. They're fun. And we target them, you know, we, we use big swim baits and, you know, 13, 14-inch baits and cast 14 hours a day, and sometimes you get a bite and sometimes you don't even get a bite, but it's, it's kind of like deer hunting, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel it's, like fishing is such a solid ground for building your patience for hunting. It doesn't just happen over overnight usually, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bummer everything's closed right now, you know. I mean, yeah. I understand everything needs to be closed, but... COVID-19. But for, like, locals, like our little lake right here, you know, first they were going to close it to anybody not from around here. It's like, I understand you go. If people are going fishing, they're going to the gas pump, and they're going to get, you know, snacks or drinks at the store. So people are moving around a lot more, mm-hmm. you know, but... The only reason I live here is to fish, and uh, they just took away, like, the best. It'd be like taking away our whole archery season right now. Like, it just, 
closed down bear in Alaska, spring bear in Alaska. No, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't close down a bunch more. That's why I'm just taking advantage of this. I mean, you hear crows, con, you hear these little blue jays or finches or starlings are all making noise and I mean <laughs> smell the fresh air on the little breeze and see a little gray squirrel running around you know mm-hmm. little little slice of heaven back here <laughs> it's a nice little pocket yeah look at a button bucks dude I've been sitting this blind like four days you know, since the season opened, I've been just chilling in here, mm-hmm. <laughs> daydreaming, right. and get lucky once in a while and get a big tom. My goal this year, we want to get 20 big mature toms. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I think we've hunted four days or five days now. And we're on, we're on number nine. So mm-hmm. maybe we could get him. Be nice. I'll take number nine. I can't believe. Oh, there's a cool hawk right there. There's nine in the tree. I can't believe nothing's talking. Oh, yeah. Dude, these gray squirrels here, they nest. And uh, these big hawks try to come in, I think, and get them. And get the squirrels. Mm hmm. I caught a bald eagle this year. Um, Michelle actually saw it, and he had those little cockerburrs all over his face. Really? And uh, I threw my Sitka jacket over him and picked him up, pulled all those things out, and uh, he had a hurt wing. <laughs> and I think I think he hit a wire or got in a fight with another one, but I fed him a bunch of salmon and pork chops, and, dude, I would hold him with no gloves on preened him and cleaned him and got all the little pokies off of him so he's like he knew that I was his friend mm-hmm. never bit me never tried so like it took about a week to figure out the the right place to find him because every place I called was like oh I don't know call this place like oh uh-huh. and so I found this bird place in uh, southern Oregon and took him up to there and it was just so cool dude getting to freaking hold a bird that big and look at a bird that big and <laughs> feed a bird that big and just be buddies with yeah, it yeah and, and I kind of try to think about what he saw you know in his life and how fast he'd go from here to here in the valleys and you know he just you could tell he's a cool old bird full of knowledge right it's beautiful so when every podcast there's always a dead eye a dead eye question right mm-hmm. dead eye outfitters peril hats t-shirts flannels socks I love all their stuff it's great stuff so the dead eye question you you kind of grew up hunting with your dad yes right? sir and earlier this week you had your daughter out with you and you guys are calling turkeys and your wife shot a really nice tom you know and so what's that like for you coming full circle later in life and here you are teaching your kids how to hunt. <laughs> I mean, it's it's awesome. It's everything I ever wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, uh, I think my my son, you know, he's 16. 
You said he shot a big boar. Oh, he's he's went to Mississippi and Texas, and he stabbed some boars well over three three inches that that my grown men wouldn't even get in the holes with me to stab them, you know. But we're in there with the dogs, and mm -hmm. we got to do it. So yeah, he, by the time he was uh, you know old enough to realize what what had happened and what was going on, he's like, "You're crazy. I'm never doing that stuff again," <laughs> you know. And he shot his first archery deer with me um, last season, mm -hmm. and it was just, I mean, it was awesome. He made a good shot and just smoked it, but he's just not into it right now as much as he would have been if I didn't make him, you know, I used to keep him out all night and put him in my rod locker boxes in my bass boat, and he'd go to sleep in there, and I'd just keep fishing. Mm -hmm. And so... I made him do it so much when he was younger that he's he's not into it as much as I'd like him to be right now. But he's also a teenager if, doing teenager if, stuff. Yeah, I'm if, sure. if you have a kid that that you want to hunt and and stuff, don't don't push them and don't make them. You know, if they only want to go sit in the blind for an hour, then go sit in the blind for an hour. Don't make them sit in there for 14 hours. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and I think I really messed him up. I I said, hey, we're gonna go over to Nevada. Let's go camping for a week. You can shoot rabbits over there with the pellet gun, and we'll just go have fun. And so I talk him into it. We get over there, and I think it was 31 or 32 days later, he's like, Dad, you're going to take me back to California to the redwood trees. I'm sick of the desert. You said a week. It's been well over a month. I'm going let take me home. So, yeah, it's hard to get him in the – if I have camping gear in the truck now, it's hard to get him to even get in there with me. Because he doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> but teaching the kids, just just giving them the option, mm -hmm. and any of their friends, any of their friends' dads, whatever, if they don't know how to hunt, if they want to learn, I'm willing to help them, teach them, yeah. you know, all the way from the, the field to the table. And, and a lot of people come over and they don't eat meat or whatever, or they don't like meat, mm -hmm. or deer's gross, whatever. And then we cook it, and they love it. You know, and then they want to get into it or they want their kid to, to go experience that. So even if they don't like it or they're not going to be a professional hunter or whatever, at least they experience that, you know, and they know that you can go harvest a deer and have great friggin' meat <clears throat> for yourself and your family. Mm -hmm. And like I said, even if they don't get into it, at least they, at least they got to learn it and they, they know about it. So when they grow up you know, and their, their co-worker that, that might be sporting the rainbow sticker on the back of their Prius might say, you know, hunting's horrible and all this, and they, they might go, you know what? It's actually not that bad. Yeah, it's not that bad. I'm not into it, but, you know, my family is or my dad did, and it's actually cool, like, you know, you'll cool eat a, lifestyle. You'll go get a cheeseburger from in and out but you think, you know, having a deer steak or eating a deer is bad. It's like, I mean, I'd rather have a deer steak you, than a stinky old cow that grew up in some stinky old pen, you know. Mm -hmm. But to each his their own. I'm not going to judge anybody for doing anything. But with with um, my kids, you know, getting to hunt and getting just to spend time with them in the outdoors is, if I died tomorrow, I'd be a complete happy man. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, you kind of brought up a really interesting point, you know, about how people people's perception of hunters and all that kind of stuff you know and and for you you're an extremely accomplished outdoorsman you know hounds bears cats 
pigs, alligators, deer, elk, you know what I mean, sheep, you know, you're extremely well versed, and you come out of California, you know, and, and you've got, what, two foot, three foot dreads, right? Yeah, my longest one's like down to my kneecap, so, probably, I mean, yeah, pretty long. <laughs> Four foot, five foot, yeah. longer, you know, but... Well, we figured... I got 70-something of them, mm-hmm. so if, if they're all two feet, I got minimal, like, minimal 140, 150 feet rope if we ever get in a bind. <laughs> if we got to get a sheep down or yeah. up, I mean, I have to cut my hair. Yeah. But a lot of people used to give me flack about it, but I grew up with so many redneck, logger, professional crabbing, just rude, disgusting assholes, and they all didn't like it, and they hated on me until mm-hmm. they found out, like... Me and my buddy, when I was like 20, we had a bet to see who can grow the longest hair. And we were working, right? Well, he liked Captain's Morgan and uh, and Coca-Cola too much. He got such high blood pressure, he had a brain aneurysm in our cabin. Mm-hmm. He ended up dying. And after, you know, he went away and everything, and after the funeral and stuff, I went in there and cleaned up all the blood and cried and, you know, said goodbye and stuff. And... I, I just said right there, I said, Rich, I'm never going to cut my hair, and I won, you know, you bastard. I said, you left early, but I'm winning this bet, <laughs> and so I haven't cut my hair since. So, mm-hmm. you know, once I tell people, you know, why why I just let it go, then they're like, all right, that's that's cool. But, yeah, I get a lot of weird, weird, weird looks. You well, know? especially being in the hunting world. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what's that been like for you? Like, I don't want to say battling with it, but I'm sure that it puts an extra element of difficulty into it for you because people either they're going to doubt you or they're going to think you're some fucking California hippie. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? There's so many. I kind of like it though now because it's like. Well, you're a sleeper, dude. This Pacific ghost. If they're like mean or they want to hate on me or they're, they're that shallow of a human being and that closed minded, then it shows me like day one, like this this isn't a real like I don't need to hang out with any fake asshole that's freaking yeah. one way here and then you know talking crap over here you know it's like just be solid and be who you are and you know mm-hmm. if you if you got long hair if you got no hair you know sport it mm-hmm. and just rock it you know what I mean mm-hmm. and uh, you know people say like oh you know that's that's crazy your hair's I've never seen hair like it. And I said, and they go, you know, that's like Jamaican stuff for for Africans or Jamaicans. And I said, well, when you really think about it, my ancestors that were cavemen, they had dreads. Yeah. And I know it says Jesus' hair was of a sheep's wool. That's Mm -hmm. pretty much saying Jesus had dreads. Yeah. You know, so... Right. If people want to hate because they got a balding hair or whatever, you know, whatever. But I believe that if you can grow them, then rock them. Fucking rock them. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, and I sleep on the ground like three months out of the year, you know. So you put a beanie on and you got a, you already got a pillow. You don't even need a pillow. Yeah. If you got a nice sleep bag, I could sleep anywhere. Makes you travel a little bit lighter. Yeah, I got a, <laughs> I got a scarf in the winter. I just wrap it around, wrap it around my neck, and just just roll. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people give me shit, and 
and then they go, you know, we'll fish or something. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute. I've had some funny, you know, funny dudes that are hunted all over the world, and, and they'll say, man, I did not know what to think about you at first. And and then by the end of the day, they're like, you're a damn good, you know, dude. And I, You got I, this. Yeah, I, I just laugh. And I pulled up to the strip this year, and first thing Ryan Hatch tells his old boys, he goes, this is my friend Nader. Do not, please, guys, do not judge a book by the cover. <laughs> He's a machine on the glass, and I'm glad to have him here. Uh-huh. And uh, I walked up, and they're all looking at me like, what the? What did you bring into camp? It, yeah, what's up, Hollywood, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, by the time the trip was done, you know, we were all laughing and joking. But half of the people, they'll, they'll ask me, is that your real hair, you mm-hmm. know? That thing don't make no noise? No. That thing's sick. You can't have it make noise, man. You got deer to catch. Yeah, I need a camera. Make my backpack a little heavier. <laughs> they definitely do. Especially when you start fucking around with lenses. Oh, dude. Like I said, I have the fear of missing out. So every time I go somewhere, I have to have this. I have to have, you know, 95 with the phone scope. What if you just see the... Uh, a buck that you never see again you want to get a picture you know mm-hmm. and the thing for me is like I love video and I love taking pictures and it it's so important to me like as soon as I spot a buck like big mule deer especially mm-hmm. I'll get a picture of them it, right when I see them I'll set up and get try to get a picture of them so say the buck runs off in two minutes and you go wow he had a giant 30 plus inch frame but what was he and then you don't know. Mm-hmm. And then you got to come back. And you might not see him that next day. And then you've got, man, he, was, he, he had a giant frame. What was he? And then you come back, you know, two, three days later and you find him. And he's just a giant four by three. And you're like, man, I wasted all this time to realize he's just a, you know, a nice big buck, but we're not going to hunt him. Mm-hmm. But if you would have took that picture, the first 60 seconds you saw him, you could have zoomed in and go, well, you know. He ain't the one we're looking not for. The one, yeah, so I, I, it's really important for me to get a, try to get a picture right off the bat of the game animal if, if that's what you're hunting, you know, yeah. and not waste time and do the diagnostic test right there. <laughs> Analyze the situation and either continue or not, you know. Target or don't. Yeah. These things got to be moving around be hungry because I'm getting hungry, so I know they are. Well, what do you think? We'll cut this podcast off and start calling in some birds. We do that, or get out of this blind and, and start uh, tracking, s- sneaking around. I'm done sneaking, s- slipping around in there. <laughs> Go back to where we saw those birds and mm-hmm. last I've, last part of the podcast. A piece of gear that you cannot go without. What is your most important piece? Glassing or hunting or hunting deer. You mean like if I'm hunting a weapon or or a, you mean just like something I equipment. So I, something other than your bow or your rifle. Oh my glass. Your glass. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. Whether it's blacktail or mule deer. For archery, I mean a good rangefinder. Because <laughs> if it's that big and you're archery hunting and you're that close, you know. 
you know so that'd be my yeah a range finder or or for rifle you know a, some glass for sure mm -hmm. and then the dead eye and the dead eye question too you know chris he's he scored that biggest non-typical ever shot and they're they're a great crew yeah they got some great stuff he he hooked me up he gave me a badass sweatshirt he gave hannah my daughter let her pick out a hat and a hoodie and mm -hmm. just just a great dude great artist and uh it's a cool cool little company so yeah great guys man. yeah no i love chris lacy's the shit yeah how big was the non-typical that he scored um, i think it's like 229 gross <laughs> to 223 223 net just nice little buck was that an archery or a rifle buck no that was a, a rifle buck um mm. I got lucky to shoot. Everybody hunted him for quite a few years, and I just got lucky. Three days left of rifle season. He followed a doe out, and I just got super lucky to, to harvest him and uh, super grateful for him. Mm -hmm. He scores, I, I think, 207 typical. Really? And then 223 net non-typical. That's a big-ass buck, dude. So he might make the books both ways. I can't remember. I don't know. It's not important. <laughs> And, and you don't you're not really big on putting your animals in the books i mean that one i got a belt buckle for it so i think it's going in the books but no i could care less like if if, yeah. if i tried to put every pope and young deer in the book and had to pay 30 dollars for each one i mean that's that's a whole extra freaking tag yeah exactly or a whole half of hunting season i'm not going to put all those deer into a, a book and pay to put every single one in there it's just that's why I don't do shoulder mounts. Yeah, to me it's ridiculous. I mean, a shoulder mount costs you a couple tags right there. <laughs> I had so many mounts when, by the time I was 20, and now you see I've cut down to, you know, six blacktails or I think seven now. And mm -hmm. and uh, I've given quite a few away and, and torn a lot of horns off after they get old and throw them away because, you know, that big big animal you shoot when you're a kid, it's not, it's not that big anymore once you grow up, mm -hmm. you know. And I don't like having a bunch of small stuff mounted. It just doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. You know, next to the bigger stuff, so. I just get rid of a lot of, a lot of the older stuff. When I hog dogged, I had seven shoulder mount bores and a full body 300. Did you hear that, baby? Yep. yep. That first gobble, and if that's coming from back here, that's him. Where was it? It was the, that's him then. It was just one, two. Right there. Let's see if it was the little bird there before five. Oh, shit. Because you don't 
I don't know exactly where he's coming from. He's gonna come in quiet too with that. Turkey to come in. You might come in. Oh yeah, they sometimes do. I'll have them sit right here and just staring for 20 freaking minutes and hang up, and then they're weird. Sometimes mm -hmm. they come running in, and it's funny when they hang up and you just see their heads going back and forth. Like, come on, motherfucker. That tone that that I want you to shoot. You're going back and forth, back and forth. And I knew right then that these toms don't like the big tom decoys. And so I don't I don't use a I don't use a big tom decoy back here anymore. Chalk out there that's the 
He didn't fuck the hand. That was pretty cool. <laughs> see, see, it's like that. You could have, you know, you could have had a turkey dinner, yeah. or I could have had a turkey dinner. Right. But we both are like, nah. Well, if I had my recurve, I would have smoked one. But it's funny because once the turkeys got close. And I realized I wasn't going to shoot him. First thing I did was grab my long lens. <laughs> Dude, that big one might be right here, though. 
same trail. Yep. See them? Yep. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.